Well, this is David Gibson, the Executive Editor of Journal of Ecology at ESA, and I'm with Emily Farr, one of our um, authors in the recent virtual issue that we uh, put up uh, associated with the ESA meeting. And uh, the theme for this meeting is Novel Ecosystems in the Anthropocene. So Emily, let's start off by uh, giving me an idea of what you understand by the term Anthropocene. All right. Um, to me, Anthropocene, I mean, it means that humans are, are influencing uh, ecosystems and the environment. And I think we would all agree that um, in recent years, humans have you know, affected global temperatures, they've affected global biogeochemical cycles, and they've really promoted kind of the mass um, exchange of taxa and propagules from continent to continent. And this really, um, these things are happening at a level that hasn't been, been seen before, and they are human-caused. So. And the Anthropocene is this, this term used to refer to this, this recent period in Earth history that's different from previous times, I suppose, right? Yeah, the, the causal factors are, are different, so it's kind of encompassing that, yeah. that causal. And, and part of this meeting are you know, papers and, and talks about uh, novel ecosystems. So what do you understand by that term? Yeah, so the term novel ecosystems, I think there we've seen at this meeting that there is still kind of a debate and we're kind of working through what what different people's definitions are about novel ecosystems, which is exciting. Really? Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, I think as we as we think about it and and talk about it more, um, how I see them is that because we humans are having such a big influence on on environmental conditions, uh, that we sometimes see these conditions coming together in ways that that don't have analogs in the past. Um, so different combinations of nutrient enrichment um, regimes and new species coming into new areas where they never have been before um, have created these these ecosystems that we we don't really have anything to compare them to in the past so mm -hmm. that's that's kind of my take on yeah, that. yeah is that the same as a no analog community yeah I would I kind of view them as, as being similar right. and yep. you said there's some debate about about the term I think we're still working through um, working through what it means so for example uh, let's see um, I went to some paleoecology talks, and they're thinking, you know, along much longer timescales than most ecologists mm -hmm. and restoration ecologists, which is kind of where the term started, um, are thinking. And so they kind of pointed out that, you know, if you just look at the last 100 or 200 years, a certain set of environmental conditions might um, be novel. But if you look back a thousand years or 10,000 years, those same conditions might have occurred um, in the far past. Um, and then I think another thing that I've, I've recognized people kind of working through at this meeting is, you know, there novel ecosystems, there could be novel ecosystems, there could be novel drivers, there could be novel um, species associations. Mm -hmm. So kind of how, what aspect of the ecosystem are you talking about when you refer to it being, being novel is something that you sometimes have to clarify. Yeah, so the spatial scale. So, so what... Um, I hate to use the term, what traditional ecologists or conventional ecologists might consider to be novel because we don't see it today, mm -hmm. the paleo people may say, oh, well, that was here in the past, exactly. so it's not really novel. Exactly. So we have to decide on, on what novelty means or, or perhaps means different things to different groups of ecologists. Yeah, know? yeah. Yeah, okay, I see. And so you've seen some, some interesting papers that kind of discuss this 
issue with that. Yeah, and it's it's just nice to have kind of a lot of different kinds of ecologists here so that we are having those right. discussions across disciplines. Right, yes, yeah. So as I mentioned at the, the top, um, we have a, the, the BES has put up a virtual issue of papers from across its journals that uh, we think relate to this theme and uh, included in that is a paper from Journal of Ecology that uh, you with others published um, in 2015 called Indirect Effects of Global Change Accumulate to Alter Plant Diversity but Not Ecosystem Function in Alpine Tundra. So would you tell us a little bit about that study? Sure. Um, so this study focused on um, some research realizing that environmental change can it can affect ecosystems directly by changing the physical environment. So, um, you know, anthropogenic nutrient input, it changes the nitrogen levels, which can directly influence plant growth on the biomass. But environmental change can also have indirect effects on, on species through species interactions. So if you have that same nitrogen input, it causes increase in biomass of one species. The species could competitively suppress another species um, creating this indirect negative effect on on species too, and so that's what we were we were looking at. Kind of our direct effects or indirect effects um, stronger? Which one is stronger? Which one's more important for um, looking at how biodiversity and ecosystem function um, are shifting with global change? Um, and uh, kind of the the punchline what we found is that. For biodiversity, so plant diversity, we found the indirect effects were, were very strong. They were much stronger than direct effects. And they increased in, in strength over time. And so um, global change, we were looking at nitrogen um, input, increasing temperatures, changing precipitation patterns. These three things influenced dominant plants. And some of them became very abundant and competitive. And that reduced biodiversity um, through that indirect competitive interaction. But we also found that some of our uh, ecosystem processes, most of our ecosystem processes like productivity and nitrogen cycling rates and microbial <coughs> biomass, they were more um, impacted by direct effects of global change. Um, so those physical environmental changes is what was driving those shifts in our system. Yeah, so if we're trying to, to sort of use paleo records and past events to try and predict what's going to be happening in the future with global climate change, sounds like what you're, fi you're finding would be quite difficult because we wouldn't know how the dominant species may be causing these indirect effects. Yeah, um, I think these results suggest that we can't just use you know separate experiments of the effect of global change on species A, B, and C separately. We have to actually test them together and understand how species are competing and then incorporate the, those interactions in any forecasting models. Um, and so it, it does make it much more complex. Mm -hmm. um, and this, is, this took place in Alpine Tundra. Mm -hmm. Is that a system that's particularly susceptible to these global change effects? Um, yeah, in, in many ways it is. Um, I mean, the Alpine Tundra, in terms of global warming, it's, you know, kind of exists on that upper limit of, of plant um, ability to, to deal with, with temperature. Um, and so when you shift temperatures and increase temperatures, you relax that um, uh, that factor that's kind of dictating what plants can be there. And so we do get a lot of shifts in plant abundance. And we're also um, not a focus of this paper, but we're seeing that um, subalpine species are moving uphill into the tundra and colonizing as a result of those shifts. Yeah. 
Is that a system that we know much about from past records? I mean, you, I mean, do you have are there paleo records from alpine regions? That's a really good question. I I'm not. Are there bogs sure. up there where you can get pollen from? I mean, there there are definitely wet wet meadows that maybe yeah. would um, some accumulation perhaps some accumulation, but the it does have they do have pretty shallow soil profiles. So I'm not sure. Yeah, how, yeah. And they're so. Yeah, so it might be a difficult sure. system to, to kind of use the past records mm -hmm. for predicting the future. Yeah. So where, where does this sort of research, I mean, is this research you're still following up? Are you going further with it? Um, yeah, one um, aspect of this, this work that we uh, were starting to look at, and I'd like to look at more in, in future research, is incorporating plant-microbe interactions, um, those kind of indirect effects, mm -hmm. into this framework. Um, and so... Right now we're working on a uh, project looking at how um, plant microbe interactions may be important in how plants are shifting uphill with climate change because they may be colonizing sites where their um, you know, beneficial microbes may or may not be and how might these interactions um, so affect the, how plants can as shift. As the soil gets warmer perhaps, then the, the microbial community may be enhanced or, or changed and then it, that would alter the decomposition rates and, and, and other things like that. Yeah, and also endophyte communities in particular, so mycorrhizae mm. and, um, and beneficial microbes, as well as soil pathogens. These all might be shifting mm -hmm. when you shift environmental conditions. That can have impacts on Okay, so there could be some follow-up work that you can be doing okay. for this. Okay. Well, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to, to talk to us about your work and, and uh, your thoughts about this meeting. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Okay. I think that's, I think that's, that's good. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you.